When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From Learfield IMG College, this is the Rocket Liftoff Podcast. Now, here is your host, the voice of the Rockets, Brent Balbonat. It's been roughly two weeks since the dust settled on the 2020 MAC volleyball season, also known as 2021 Edition 1.0, because in about five more months, we're going to be sitting right back here again. They will be suiting up, and we'll be talking about the season that's on schedule versus the delayed season. But for the University of Toledo, you talk about a roster that was loaded, 18 players. I remember over the summer talking with the man sitting just to my left right here. It was almost like he got to play mad scientist. What combination am I going to use here? What chemistry can I produce there? But 11 of those 18 were underclassmen, five sophomore, six freshmen. That's going to mean for some growing pains. It also means for a lot of promise in those very same five months from now when the fall semester of 2021 gets going, everybody back on, hopefully, in air quotes, a regular schedule. Welcome aboard, everybody. Another edition of the Rocket Liftoff Podcast. I'm Brent Balbonat. You are looking very intense. Usually you're pretty loose when we do these, but right now you're locked in. So I don't know. Are you already in September? It's Have you glare, flashed it's forward? It's coming through the windows because we're not used to the sun being out here in Toledo. <laughs> you know, it's actually beautiful outside. So you know, I'm, I'm just... Uh, just excited that it's uh, spring again and, and uh, we're one step closer to August. That voice that you are hearing is the mastermind behind the University of Toledo volleyball team. Right. Don't 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 do that. Don't don't make me out to be a mastermind. No, no now. seriously, I don't sell the steak. <laughs> I sell the sizzle. I sell the sizzle. You That's are right. the sizzle, sir. That's right. That voice you're hearing is Coach Oliver joining us. It's been a couple weeks. I guess first let me ask you how are you doing? Did you take any time off? or at least as much as you can with a newborn. Last time we talked, you still weren't there yet. I think the last podcast we did, I think uh, the arrival came after we did our coaches show. But for as much as still a relatively new parent, if you want to call it that, in air quotes, can get uh, during downtime. With twins, everything is just uh, turns your world upside down. You know, we have Miles and and then the babies, you know, Casey and Aurora, and then my wife, Kelly's holding it down and (laughs) – doing a great job and, and you know you know i think uh <clears throat> i think in these in these little moments in the middle of the nighttime when you're holding the baby trying to make sure they don't cry or spit up on you or do something like that you tend to reflect on what what happened over the last you know four months or even year even in that sense did we do it right did we not do it right and we talked about you know going through in my head the players and the system and the things that we do i mean constant self-evaluation and trying to figure things out so yeah i Taking a break is not in the in the cards right now, which is totally fine, um, because 
I wouldn't change my personal life for for the world. You know, I love my family and I love those babies and and Miles is a is a great kid. And, he's and, gonna have uh, to be a good big brother now, right? He's doing great. He's doing a really good job. So you know, I wouldn't change my my personal life forever for anything. But you know, in those quiet moments in the middle of the night, you know, when you're looking around and my wife's snoring and drooling on, <laughs> and the babies are crying and not crying, and and you and you look and you say to yourself, well. Did we get the most out of that? Should we have changed this? I wish I could. I'm thinking back on matches, you know, those types of things. So your mind never stops, though. No, 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 no. You know, what do you do to decompress? Can you can you truly walk away? And what's the common phrase? Get off the grid for even just a, a small moment to kind of recharge, or are you just not able to? Not in COVID years. It's just this is just a. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be a big grind. I mean, we we talked about it before the twins are even one year old. We're gonna end up playing two full seasons. You know, so that's that's not normal it's not normal to have do that and have twins let alone do that and have had played that you know you know and you know the ball state head coach kelly she's mm-hmm. going through the same thing she's had a baby as well so you know it's not normal so so to have a break no there's really no break and you know recruiting is never it's never going to end um the turnaround is going to be faster than ever um you know we've got a lot to prepare for we still are we still are trying to figure out a lot of things about what's going to happen in august even though um you know, with meetings and all that kind of stuff. So there's really no no rest for the weary. As we sit here and speak right now, the expectation is that the NCAA is going to lift the dead period at the end of this month. If and when that happens, we know that it's bound to eventually happen. How does that change your life as far as where you go, who you see, who you talk to? I think it'll be June first, if I'm reading correctly. Yeah. So you okay, wait a minute. Excuse month, me. Yeah, we're still in April. Which is still Pardon fine. Me. Yeah, yes, that's fine. two months from now. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing really changes. I mean, we're the only thing that we'll be able to do is have people come to campus, which I think is going to be important for those 22s and 23s, or at least 22s that can come to campus um, and visit. You know, because they're gonna. They've been. We've been talking to a bunch of them, and I think we got a bunch of interest of some really good players. It's just a matter of them being able to feel what campus is like. Um, when the coaching staff are walking them around and we're talking to them in, in person. So nothing really changes. We're not really allowed. I mean, we won't have to go out that much. Most of the tournaments that we're supposed to recruit would be finished at that point. So there might be a couple, you know, long trips to go see some practices and stuff like that. But I, I think that for the most part, we know who we want. we got to go get them, and they got to come and love this place. Quick synopsis, quiet period versus dead period. When it's lifted – when a dead period means no contact, yes, it just no, means no that. contact, no on-campus contact, no off-campus contact. Coaches are not allowed to leave campus. Quiet period. Uh, coaches have to stay on campus, but recruits and players of recruitable age that are able to come to campus can come to campus and talk to us. And then, of course, wide open, you can go anywhere, talk to anybody. Yeah, see yeah, what yeah. you can see. Yeah, that that'd be a recruiting period. Correct. And that recruiting period could be uh, different for each sport, but for volleyball, we have a recruiting calendar where there's on and off and stuff like that. Let's rewind now here because yeah. I don't want to get too far ahead of the game. Yeah. Last two matches of the season. You know, I look down here. Two woulda, coulda, shouldas. Huh. Five set losses at Akron. I look at this schedule, and I know the record is not where you want it. Nowhere near. At six and fourteen, but you lost seven, five set matches so you can look at that in one of two ways you were good enough to get there and push just about anybody in the conference on any given night a handful of points away from potentially being 13 and 7 14 and 6 reversing that record what was the difference in your opinion Oh, boy, the look on his face. Now he's really going to rewind. He just gave you a little bit of a synopsis about even being up at 3 in the morning and nursing the kids and still thinking, what could we have done differently? There's no right or wrong answer. You dive in anywhere you want. Well, I mean, even even if you go past that, we, we played 10 five-set matches out of 20. You know, I mean, there's so many other opportunities for us to get through. I mean, is there any one thing you could put your finger on? Or was it a combination of things? It was the co- the cocktail of different things that you probably don't want to be drinking in the night. You know what I mean? I, I think that we ended up we ended up having great moments, not enough of them, and we found moments to play well, and I think we scared the heck out of everybody in the league with the style that we played, the physicality that we had, the players that we have, and we're just barely we're, – we're going to get over the hump. It takes a, bit, a little bit more hard work. It takes a little bit more technique understanding. It takes um, a lot more leadership and a lot more dedication to the way we want to play and how we want to get after it. So, you know, do I, 
do I am I upset of the record? Yes. Am I optimistic for the future? Yes. But at some point, our program needs to mature out of these moments. And I don't think that that's something that Toledo's ever been able to do from a volleyball standpoint. We've never been able to mature out of these moments where we just refuse to lose. We refuse to lose. We say we stand up and we say, no, this isn't happening today. And you know, we talked to our team about that a lot this semester, about no, looking somebody in the eyes and saying, no, that's not happening. You're not doing that. I'm not doing that. We're not doing that. And, you know, I think um, – it's starting to settle in, you know, but there's still those moments where you can say no and the other team can still be better than you. Sure. <laughs> and but, I think we ran into a couple of those moments. You don't head in those situations, though, right? I mean, no. so often I no. think it's – I don't want to say it's quite common, but maybe more so than not with a fan base to say, man, we lost that game. How do we lose that game? That's not always the case. Sometimes you tip your cap to the opponent. They won. We didn't lose. Yeah, I mean, you look at the first match of the year against Western. They oh. beat us. You know, we were tight, you know. And then the next day they came out and did did a good job against us. You know? Well, we, they made they, some adjustments, too. Yeah. I mean, they moved Bontrager to the opposite side. Which and turned out to be the, the winning stroke for them. Yep. And she became player of the year. So, you know, and then you, you look at, you know, Ball State where, you know, we had them on the ropes again and we just let it slip through our fingers the second day, you know. And I don't think we played as good. But, again, those are losses that I'll take in a five setter against those types of teams and those types of, you know those situations. But you know, there's there's some other moments throughout the year where we we should have performed better. You know, we we lost at Northern and I thought we played poorly in the first match and lost in five. And Northern's a good team, especially at Northern. But then we turned around and beat them in three. You know, and so to have those moments, I think is a little is a little tough to to swallow. You know, the the system and the way that we set up the 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 league this year was back to back games whenever we played and. That was an interesting thing as well. How do we adjust what's going on? And I think we did a pretty good job of responding to the first match. Our team responded every single Saturday or every single Friday, the second match, whoever we played against. And But what we really needed to do was be consistent and meet our standards instead of rallying to, to, to better ourselves or, or being prepared and, you know, the, we need to consistently meet standards and, and make sure that we're, we're achieving them. Let me ask you to piggyback on that again, because I'm looking down here. My very next question in my notes is you've got five set wins. As you mentioned, yeah. Ball State was tremendous. Buffalo at home, that team down south, Bowling yeah. Green, only loss of the season yeah. came to the midnight blue and gold. What was the difference in those five set matches compared to the others, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think... Uh, I think at Buffalo or the, you know, the Buffalo match, you know, just it was a grind, and we knew that we knew the opponent on the other side, and and it was one of our last home weekends. It was our last home it weekend. Was it? Yeah. You know, so we had these extra incentive to go out there and find some quality in the way that we were playing. Um, you know, the the ball the you know the, the team down south. I will say. <laughs> now that was just one of those matches where it was good volleyball from start to the end. And I think that she would say, you know, I think Daniela and the and the group down there would say that it was a it was a fun match to compete against each other because we, it was haymaker after haymaker after haymaker and and to see us play that way, and to know that we can dig deep like that is is you know is a positive. It's all a positive, you know, and and, and to know that we had the the talent and the players to take them out of what they wanted to do, you know. But then you you know in the same breath, you know, we had a really tough match against. BG the first time and lost in four and then had to get on the bus, drive three and a half hours and then losing five at Ohio. Yeah. That Ohio match is just going to stick in my mouth, you know, because we had them on the ropes. We knew that we had them and we couldn't find the extra quality to, or the extra, I guess, consistency in quality to make that next play. So, you know, I, it's, it's weird. And I'm sure you've heard this in sports. Like some opponents bring different things out on you. Sure. Some matchups bring different things out on you. The, you know, the, the team down south brings something different out of each other. We They want to win just as bad as we want to win. And I think it gets the bubble, you know, the, the juice is flowing. Um, when you look at the schedule and you know that you just played BG and then you have to hop on the bus and go down to Athens three and a half hours and play the next day, um, which has never happened on a midweek on a Wednesday, yeah. um, I think it's a little bit different. But we have to realize that it doesn't matter what the challenge is in front of us. There's a standard level of play that we have to meet. If we can hit 250, we're going to win a bunch of matches. If we can side out at 65%, we're going to side out. We're going to win a bunch of matches. If we can kill the ball at 40% or better, we're going to win a bunch of matches. We can dig transition and surveys reception and, and, and do these things that are part of our program and are part of our identity. We're going to win a bunch of matches. What we have to do is do it more often. 
it's it's one thing to do them once in a while, yeah, or even a set or two, but then fade again. Yep. That level of consistency that you talk about, really, if I'm hearing you right, is expectation. This is the baseline we expect to operate from. If we fall behind it or below it, then we're going to be disappointed in ourselves. We'll say we lost a match rather than the opposition beating us. Exactly. How close are you to meeting those parameters? Closer than we've ever been. I think it, what really hurt us this year, I think, is just the physicalness of the game and the fact that we really haven't been able to stay in a, I don't know, I don't know how to say this, a conditioned level. We, we packed so? a bunch of matches in a, in a very short period okay. of time. And knowing that, we, didn't, we, we built up our, our conditioning to a point where we were ready to go. But I don't think anybody realized how fast and how furious those, those three and a half months or four months were going to be. Um, you know, whereas we know what the semester is going to be like for us next in August. It's going to be our usual grind. We're going to know how to get through it. You know, we were in, in stretches there, we weren't lifting at all. At all. You know, and and we got to stay strong throughout a season. So sure. I think there were some there were some factors in that, and this is part of my self reflection. How can we lift better? How can we be better conditioned? How can we jump better, more consistently, more of the year? Well, you take time out of your practice to get a lift in session with uh, you know Brandon Hannon, who does a great job for us. Tremendous strength you know, and conditioning, and, and you you get more time in with our, our agility and our jump training in the mid you know in the during the week. But there are times where we would go almost two weeks and never have a lift. You know, and it just it's not it's not good for us. You know, as far as volleyball players are concerned, to to keep our our our, our physicality up. So, you know, we address that with our team as we go through in this in the next three months. We really need to address the the conditioning and the and and the physicality of everybody. Wow, there's two areas I can go here because you mentioned a couple of those players. You mentioned a couple of key statistical areas, and there is a lot to be excited about. But at the same time. There's no blueprint for this. The offseason is going to be shorter than it ever has been. You know what? Before we do that, let's go ahead and talk about what happened this year and then segue into the offseason. And I'm looking down here, a lot of youth, but you start a, a freshman at setter in Peyton Mormon, who was about right down the middle of the pack when you took a look at statistical, individual statistical categories from what you want, you know, percentage, assists, especially somebody who, is it fair to say, kind of got thrown into the fire so to speak. How did she respond, in your opinion? You know, Peyton started and was just happy to be here. You know, I think she was just happy to be here. I'm going to play. I'm going to be great. And, oh, my gosh, I'm starting. And it's going to be fun. And to the end of the year where it was like you asked her very pointed questions, and she had very pointed answers because you have to have pointed answers when you're getting put in the, in the frying pan. You can't just look around and go, oh, I don't know. I'm just happy to be here to get off me, get off my back. You know, you, you, you can't do that when you're the starting quarterback of the, of the volleyball team that's trying to go out and win a bunch of matches. So, she definitely uh, learned under fire, but I was really impressed with her athleticism and her, and her technique and some of the things that she's able to do uh, in moments um, and, and how she handled responding to those moments when she failed. I think she showed a lot of maturity. So, you know, now we can have a conversation about the way that we want to play or very pointed situations, and she'll look at me and go, oh, yeah, I got this answer, and this is the way I'm going to do it, and I'm going to stand up and sh- look you out dead in the eyes and do it. Where at the very beginning of the year, you'd ask her what was going on, she'd go, yeah, game was yeah, moving, I got it. moving too fast for her at that uh, point. Well, I don't know if it was moving too fast. She just didn't. She was never forced to think about it that way. Sure. And that's lexicon, and it's di- you know, it's just like anybody else when they get stuck into a new system. Am I saying the right things? What is these expectations? What are the expectations of my setting decisions? You know, and then you add that to our system and blocking and, well, and a higher and level of play with better athletes. Yeah, that's so, a cascade, a tidal wave that can overwhelm some people in moments. And I think she handled majority of the season really well. It was those moments when we really needed her to be great that we probably – and I, 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 I let her out there and I let her go out and get it right and try to figure it out. And I think she's going to pay off dividends for us. Well, you and I were talking before I hit the record button. You just flat out said it. She barely scratched the surface of her athleticism. That's right. Talk about what you need. When you say athleticism at that position compared to, say, maybe outside hitter or libero, what do you want, what do you need athletically to be a good setter? Well, so you have you have I, I would say many situations that can that you can show, throw, show your athleticism. You can show it on the defensive end. You can show it on the blocking end. You can show it on your transition work, how fast you are to the ball, and all those types of things. But I think the main area that you really want to see a setter grow and how they get better is taking good passes and making them great sets, taking medium passes and making them good sets, and taking poor passes and making them hittable in system balls. So what I say by that is, you know, every ball that we run off to the net, 
there's going to be some good servers. You know, there's going to be some good servers that put lots of pressure on us in server receive. Those balls get past the 10, 12 feet. We need those balls in system, on tempo, in location to the hut or the flare. You know, the back side of the front side of the floor. Um, and the good teams have good players that make that happen for them. You know, one player that comes to mind is Emily Weigen, who was at Akron, and I think the main reason why we lost a bunch of those those two matches there at the end was she was making 12, 13-foot bad pass, medium passes, turn into perfect sets for their outside hitters to just tee off on. And we were running to the net. We were running to balls at 13 and 11 feet because they were the second-best serving team in the league, and we handled ourselves really well, and we were putting bump set high balls to the outside. And it's just a different level. And... You know, our team recognized that, and I think it's a, it's going to be something that we're really going to have to hit moving forward with our four setters next semester. As far as grit, there were times where I looked down, especially at the end of the season, and it's one thing if an athlete gets torqued off. You've got one of two things that you can do, because most coaches will say, okay, if you let that anger consume you, it takes you out of your game. There are rare ones that can focus that and use them as a motivation. Watching her... And kind of like you said, in the early part of the season, maybe that deer in the headlights looked like, oops, I made a mistake. And then at the end of the season, it was more like, dang it. You know, you could see her kind of bite her lower lip. Can you just talk about, what, did I see things right there? Did she make that transition from fear of a mistake to anger, motivational anger, uh, maybe if it wasn't exactly the way she wanted it to go down? Yeah, I think, I think when, you get, when you get put in those situations, you have to, re- you have to respond or else you're just going to keep making the same mistakes. She's not insane. You know, that kid is not insane. She's a very smart, she's a very smart student athlete. And she knows, she knows that what she did the night before wasn't appropriate or she didn't like that. And she needed to then respond to those things. Well, when you, when you go through that process of not getting what you want and you worked really hard to reflecting on that and then changing something to get, to try to get to what you want and getting through it, that's called maturity. That's called what everybody goes on in life. And I don't think she had been forced to mature in her high school situations because she was such a young setter and she was trying to figure those things out. Whereas now she knows the sport. She knows what she's supposed to do. She understands our system. She knows everything that's going on. The only the only self-reflection that she could have was I wasn't prepared and I didn't do it right. Well, then what do I need to do next? Well, I got to be prepared for those moments. I got to mentally reflect on them. I got to know what the outs are. I got to know how to make it better with my technique. Think and, ahead. And, and you, yes. And, and that's when I was talking about earlier, when you asked her about those things at the beginning part of the year, it was like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe. And then if she were I, sitting I mean, here, we, would she agree to that was her would. response? I think okay. she would. I think she would. And then there's moments where, you know, where she'd walk in and she's just like, I'm just happy to be here. And then at the end of the semester, it was, or the end of the year, really, realistically, sure. it was, she, she knew because she wanted a different result. You know, and that's the definition of insanity. When you repeat the same thing over and over and you expect a different result, she's changing. And that's what we want in our program. Peyton, nothing but peace and love because she's probably going to listen to this, I love right? It. I love it. You do yeah. these podcasts as much for the players as you do the casual fan, right? That's right. So, that's right. Peyton, I will make you a promise. You go ahead and get what would be a good first performance in your season opener the fall she gets she gets averages 15 setting assists a match uh, uh, that first match or 13 setting assists in the first match i'd be all right with that i mean we're all out of chair for her then yes yes sir put a headset on her yes sir will she be able to speak in complete sentences yes sir okay all right peyton that's the promise that we have just made coach has made it i have made it to you so let's prepare for you to do the second volleyball podcast of 2021 she was averaging what about 11 11 assists per set and if she gets to 13, she's one of the best in the conference. And that's the difference between, let's say, a Logan Case and a Peyton, mm-hmm. Peyton Mormon. Logan Case was setting Rachel Bontrager on the right side, who's player of the year, and averaging close to, you know, five points a set just from her attack. Yep. And Logan Case benefited from that. <laughs> you know, and I think that that's where, you know, we, we needed Peyton to do that and set somebody that was going to get those types of kills. You talk about maturity, though, and still keeping that killer attitude because I remember, I can't remember if it was the first day or the second day where she whiffed on one. I mean, it was horrid. And instead of letting it eat her up, 
she laughed it off. And I remember she looked over and her coach was busting her chops too. And she was like, yeah, yeah, can't believe that happened either. And then you know what happened? The very next time the whistle sounded, she had her fangs back out and she was rabid and going after it yeah. again. There's a difference between a, a mature athlete that knows, okay, I can't let one mistake, especially when I know that I'm that good. It's a rarity. Yeah get the better of me. Yeah, and we're still growing through that. You know, I think uh, we're definitely making good decisions about the people and the character we have in our program from a recruiting standpoint. Um, they are physical and they understand how to handle, handle technique. But I think the thing about it is they're showing some grit, like you said before, about the way that we're, proce that we're processing our experience as Toledo Rockets and what we want to change. We don't want to go through four years of what, unfortunately, a Marissa Leonard went through. Mm -hmm. We want to go through four years of something new and make Marissa Leonard come back and say, that's my team. That's just one. Also returning, and again, a position change, Ryan Jakeway. Using that to kind of piggyback off what you said, Marissa Leonard's four years here. Arguably, maybe even not so much arguably, just a given the greatest of that position that this program has ever seen. I nicknamed her the Alley Cat, largely because of her physical style of play. I look at the mental side of Ryan Jaquay, and I think there may be more alley cat in Ryan than there was in Marissa. She'll take a swipe at you. Coach's kid was agreeable to to move from the outside hitter, which is a bit more of a glamour position, to kind of the the dirty dog. You don't get basically any highlight reel material at six and eleven by hey, look at that great dig, unless it's diving into the third row of the stands. But number six in the conference at almost five digs per set. Can you just talk about? Her play, I guess even more importantly, expectations moving forward. Grass, I mean, she just she grasped the game better than anybody on her team. Um, her IQ is unreal. And because of that, she's able to handle those moments and be hard on herself um, better than most people on her team. So I think what we talked to her about is that her leadership needs to come off as a non, you know, as a uncommunicated thing. So when they see her hammering herself, she needs to realize that that affects somebody else and they think that they can hammer themselves as well. But um, you know, she's for her first year as a Libro, never played Libro before in her life. Playing six rotations was really key for her. And being in the game the entire time was really key for her. But how does she influence is really a tough thing. You know, how how is she gonna influence? She had you know, she had a match when we came back against uh you know Northern that second that second day and she was unstoppable. I mean she was unstoppable. She was defense player of the league. That's exactly what I was gonna say. She won a conference honor. <coughs> Yeah, and, and but I think uh, the consistency of that position and understanding that, you know, as a serve receiver, nobody ever looks at you unless you screw up. Just like a setter. Nobody ever notices a setter unless they screw up. And Ryan Jakeway screwed up less than anybody in our program to this point as a Libro in serve receiving. So that gives you the idea that she could be even better. We're also playing in a league that has high value in Libro as well mm -hmm. and, and that position. And I think that she's one of the best in our league. We have to go out and win and prove it. She has to get the numbers to get there. So being fifth or sixth in the league in digs is good. She's capable of being number one. And, uh, you know, but number one was also at Akron, Taylor Sheritz. And I think that she did a great job but they didn't win enough matches to garner the type of recognition that she's going to need. So I think we need to, she needs to balance being performing at a high level and being unnoticed and get noticed by leading the right way. And she did a great job. Is she, how vocal is she? Very, a, in her own way. It's, very, it's, it's hard to uh, explain uh, uh, on air how vocal she is because she is in her own way the type of person that you want. She's... She's definitely an extension of our coaching staff onto the floor. That's probably the highest compliment a coach can pay a player, is it not? I, I would think so, yes. And, and you know, I know that if she's going to walk up to the referee with a complaint, she's going to know what she's talking about. Let's put it that way. You know, and, and, and then that confidence and that, that, I guess, air about her rubs off on people. And she has to understand that as well. That, that it, I'd ra I'd rather have the air and the confidence and the volleyball IQ and the in the in the right place at the right time and and poise rub off on people. Not the I'm mad at myself for doing it this way and 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 and, and I'm upset about the way things are going right now. 
um, lack of poise. So I think she's she really did a good job this year. And, and you know, I think moving forward, there's even more opportunity for her to grow. She could end up playing left back. She can end up moving to different position. You know, not a position again, but like on the floor in our defensive positioning based off of what our personnel is and where they like to play. And she's going to have to learn how to play and influence the game in that spot as well. So and we're going to challenge her, definitely. You talked about how physical this game is. It's not just from the libero position, but at middle, the block this year. Senior class of one graduating in Zoe Burnbrook, but those were pretty big shoes to fill. The job that Olivia did was nothing short of impressive. She finishes ninth best in the conference in blocks per set, just under one, what was it, .97. Almost sets a school single season record. The sky the limit for her. Talk about how she kind of stepped into that and, again, where her growth might play. Yeah, blocking is an experienced uh, skill set. You know, you have to be able to see the ball out of the setter's hands and you have to be able to have a feel for what's going on. She's only going to get better. You know, you only get better as a blocker. You don't get ever get ever get worse. Let's put it that way. Because it's such a feel thing. And, and once you get the feel down, then you start to really read plays better. The thing about her is that she definitely take, took her athleticism up another lot notch and realized that she needed to be physical. She definitely has a great mindset in the way that she walks into every match. She's trying to be professional. She's trying to find the right, um, you know, visualization and and what is her what how is she preparing mentally and you know those things are ingrained not ingrained in her by us but they're coming out of who she wants to be, which is great. Again, another player that's trying to be something different. And trying to not be insane, which is great. <laughs> so I, I really feel like I, I, I mean, to for you to say almost a single season Toledo record at ninth in the conference, I think there's a bunch of records rent that are going to get broken here in the next couple of years. That would be the expectation, though, right? Yes. Does no she doubt. have that expectation of herself? I think so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, and I saved her for last. The job that Taylor Alt did, first team all-conference, number three in the MAC, and kills per set at just under four. And when I hear fellow athletes talk about their peers in certain ways, and I'm going to use him as an example, Spencer Littleson for the basketball team, but he was at the season opener against Western Michigan. I was talking with him the next day at men's basketball practice, and I said, hey, saw you there. And he goes, the first thing he said was not that I saw you or I didn't realize you were calling volleyball. He's like, how about the alt kid? And if he uses her as a kid, it's funny, a senior college yeah. freshman, a kid. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes, how about the alt kid? And I said, you noticed her too? And he goes, yeah. And I said, what did you notice? And he goes, the sound the ball makes when it comes off her fist. Yep. If you closed your eyes and had four players hit, you could tell when Taylor Alt went ahead and laid the hammer down. When was the last time you saw a freshman make that type of impact? I mean, I don't think a freshman has ever had that type of impact here at Toledo. Um but, you know, I, I'm not as versed as in some of the older, uh, maybe pre-rally score teams as I should be. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's been players here at Toledo that have had that type of impact in the past. But, you know, well, as far as the modern your, era. Mean, you came from Indiana. You came from the Big Ten. You saw a high level of athlete as well. Does yeah. she compare to anybody that you've coached or it's, you've seen before? It's, it's a rare ability. And it's something that we look at in our recruiting, you know, that, that gifted pace, the gifted heaviness of a ball. Um, there was a guy that I played against when I was playing, and his name was Romaine, and he played it at uh, Pepperdine. And I swear to you, he had a sledgehammer <laughs> for a hand. He was six eight, and 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 literally would knock Muhammad Ali out. I think if if you got a hold of it, I mean, he would slap you silly. And when he hit the ball, you thought the ball popped. And ever since that point, I was like, man, we got to get we got to get players like that. And it's hard to find in the female game, but Taylor has that in, innate ability to pop that ball off and you sound it sounds like a shotgun going off and you know there's a lot that goes into that her physical gifts as far as her jump and her size and her speed and her athleticism but also her technical understanding of what she needs to do and how she needs to approach it well, I don't think we ever really talked to her about how to technically hit the volleyball she just knows how. What we're talking to her about is how to navigate the game and how to fit through how she likes to hit and where are we going to score and what she needs to set up to set up this and that. And just like Peyton, she had moments of greatness and a bunch of moments of, oh, my gosh, I didn't get what I wanted, and I need to figure out how to make this happen. There was one consistent thing, well, two consistent things, that every time we walked out of a gym, the other coaches were saying to us. It was, man, you guys are so close 
scary good with your technique. You know, you guys are just right there. And wow, Taylor Alt. <laughs> and and I'm telling you, Brent, I told this to my team. I said, when are we going to find out and and recognize as a team that we're as good as all these other people think we are? Because the only people don't that don't believe that, that we're good are the people in this room, the people that are here trying to do it. And why all the, is that? Well, because we, because we're we're still maturing into that the mentality of winning, the mentality that it takes to grind a practice out and win, the mentality it takes to get in here and get after it and get your technique right and learn and then implement. So you got to have some grit, you got to have some technical knowledge, you got to have some fight and fire. But we also have to have some poise in those moments mm-hmm. as well. And I think a lot of our moments this year didn't come down to just us not understanding the technique or not being good enough. It came down to the poise in certain moments. And that's a big step forward for our team, even though we didn't find those wins. But I think it really came down to us just realizing that everybody sees it. When are we going to see it? And when are we going to start performing and acting like it? Most athletes that I talk to and having had the opportunity to at least be involved in some of the the most elite teams not just in the conference but nationally the athletes would all say the same thing and there was maybe more than just a common denominator was how hard they worked in practice yeah but on top of that come game day or game night those were easy yeah i mean you talk to the other athletes like man this was nothing compared to what we went through wednesday thursday and friday what message do you want to impart on your team that's why we practice it should be easy. It should be fun. Doesn't mean it's not work, but this should be nothing compared to what we just ground ourselves out of the last 72 hours. And now we suit up. Now the whistle's on. Now the lights are going. It counts. And man, it's it's enjoyable, but it's almost second nature, so to speak. Yeah, there's multiple ways I think that you can do that as a coach. You know, I think coaches, um, a lot of coaches try to make, you know, consequences in practice hellacious. You know, you can go out there and you can put realistic expectations in front of somebody and say, if you don't reach those, reach those realistic expectations, your consequence is so horrible that you better get your mind right and grind it out. Is I'm that not a that, fine I'm, line to walk, though? Yeah, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy, unfortunately. Um, I think probably we probably would have won a couple more matches had we been that way. <laughs> but in the long run, I don't think that it's sustainable for a program for that to happen. So... The other thing is you create great competition within positions to force people into playing great. So, um, you know, I think we're finally to the point where we have a bunch of depth in the team where it's literally the, the, the ability to get on the floor for every single match and be an all-conference first-team player and never play again for our program is razor thin. So, you know, and, that, and that's what drives that competition. So if you want to be the starting outside hitter, Brent, You've got to beat these three other outside hitters to get it done. And if you don't bring it every single day, I'm taking putting you over here, and that person's going to go in there and never give it up. So I think there's multiple things like that. I think the thing about our program right now is we're teetering at a very important moment. I went out with to lunch with Emma um, Swope, and, and Emma and I had probably about an hour and a half conversation about what the team's like and where we're at and what things are going on and all those types of things just to help me get better. We're not going to get better unless I did the same thing with Zoe, I did the same thing with with, uh, Marissa. And I'm never going to get better unless I hear it from their mouths and they feel comfortable saying the things they need to say. And uh, throughout the entire conversation, we ended it with this. I was so taken back by the way that she was handling herself and the words that she were using that I realized that all the culture things that we have been talking about for the last three years are hitting home. Good. We're hitting them home. She didn't use the word I, me, or, or they one time. It was we, us, stuff that we have to get right, our team. And those characteristics and just coming out in her mouth, she didn't realize she was even saying them. So we're at this tipping point of we have this great culture of we, us, inclusive we have great players that are going to come in here and work their tails off and get it, get after it. How do we take that we culture that we've set up, find poison big moments, 
find precision and push ourselves as much as we can and still have that passion to bring it every single day. You know, and I really think that it's really starting to hit home with our team, and I really appreciated it from her, and I told her that. She was one of that senior class that I want to give you an open mic here to go ahead and recognize. Um, and it was so rough because I did get to call the final home match, and everybody stuck around, and it was predominantly parents, obviously a very limited crowd that was allowed here. Uh, over the course of the season due to COVID restrictions. But you got an open mic here to just talk about this senior class, the legacy they leave, and also who wants to step up and take it, as you mentioned, to the next level. Yeah, I mean, I was really pleased with the way that all of them um, bought into us as, as a coaching staff, and especially me for the vision that we had. And it, it shows in the way that our culture is set. And I think that there's many moments that they're going to be able to walk back and watch us play maybe an alumni match or something along those lines and say, yeah, we started that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, that was something that we talked about as a group. And 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 it's now yours, youngin. <laughs> it's now yours. Um, and where are you going to take it? You know, and I, and I think I, I was really impressed with the way that, you know, all that entire group has done such a good job of, of really buying into it and and working hard. Now, we didn't get the type of results that I think we all wanted, unfortunately. But, you know, that's I think the re- the biggest result that we have is a cohesive group that believes in us and we. And isn't, it isn't so worried about me, I, and they. And it's a little more different this year compared to the last season because you had a senior class of one. Yeah. I mean, Zoe Burnbrick, you're going to love her forever, but there was one position that needed to be filled. We just talked about how Olivia has really raised her level of play, stepped up to that challenge. How much more of a challenge is it when you've got multiple seniors? Uh, would you call four a heavy, fairly heavy senior class? I mean, there's four positions now that somebody's got to step into next year. I think we, I think we have uh, some underclassmen that are primed and ready to go. You know, we redshirted some players. Um, we're moving some players around. We also had some young freshmen step in and play a considerable role. So it's always hard to lose four seniors, obviously, or five seniors. And, and uh, you know, I think that we're going to get better um, in the long run by people by adding people. Um, but we're also going to you know, miss their expertise and their, their, their desire to play at a high level. I went online, took a look at Toledo's individual stats. I went on to the MAC website to kind of see the comparison. A couple jumped out at me. I mean, I could sit here and break them down 11 ways from Sunday, and I don't want to get into a, a paralysis by analysis situation, but I picked a couple that I know in talking with you over the past couple of seasons that you mentioned deem is important. They're all important, but these may be You've mentioned more so. Serving percentage and serve-receive. Toledo hitting 917, receive at 931. Opponents, 922, and I still can't believe it was this high, over 990. Where do you want those numbers to be in a, in a perfect world, given that there's good coaches and good athletes that are also getting scholarships to play so the those, game as well on the other side of the net? Where do you want those numbers? Um, those are just percentages of serves that are in Mm -hmm. so you you don't want to you don't want to um see the other teams are basically serving lollipops okay so you got to take some chance in order to win and you got to take some chance from the service line in order to win and you know from a a better stat would be aces per set and we were third in the conference i was gonna say ryan neal was one of the best in the conference exactly so so i think that you know when you look at it you know um Akron was the best serving team, BG and us. Those three teams were the best, were the best serving teams in the conference. And I think that the thing that BG did different than Akron and us is they also hit for a high percentage. They also scored for a high percentage and all that kind of stuff. So I think you're mis- you're misinterpreting those numbers when it comes to the serve and serve percentages of made serves doesn't really equate to anything okay. unfortunately. So hitting percentage. Yes. Segueing right into it. Now again, and this is where in talking with um, Evan, one of your assistants, people can misconstrue hitting percentage and kills per set, mm-hmm. thinking that that automatically equates to another one does when not. it does not. Yeah. Kills per set, just over 12. Hitting percentage, 189. That was 10th in the MAC. Yeah. Where do you want those numbers in a in a perfect world if you're playing up to your capability? So we were we were when we were winning matches in that last weekend, let's say even against BG, we were hitting in the 250s to 300s. So we're off by 100 per, 100 percentage points. Um, easily done for as talented a group as we are. We got to limit the number of errors that we have and make more kills on more swings, which is easily done. Um, 
kills per set, we needed to get it up to 16, 15, 16. But that means we have to have more setting assists, mm-hmm. and we need to have more balls go our way when we get when we get those kills. So better like first touch, overpasses, and random things like that will get you one or two here or there. But we have to have those things come come through again. Another percentage that isn't on the box score kill percentage. So you have a hitting percentage. If we can get that at two fifty or better every single time we walk out on the floor, and then we can kill forty percent of the balls that we get kill that we get hit set. Now you've got the the makings of a offense that's hitting 300, and I would I would venture to say that if you looked, we have obviously all these stats, and this is geeky, obviously, but we can go through every single team and how we compare to every single team in the stats that people don't see in the box score, and you'll see the ones that win are the ones that re- meet those standards, and it's easier said than done because you're not walking through the game going, oh look, I'm hitting 400, oh look, I'm doing this. No, it's just a feeling of how you're competing and playing at that level. There's where volleyball is different than a lot of other sports, though, too. I mean, to use baseball as an example, okay, a hitter knows if he's 0 for 3 or 3 for 3. If you're an outside hitter, you're not thinking, okay, I've rolled off 10 of 12. I got got 22 kills off of 65 swings. That's not going through your head. That's not – you wouldn't want that. That would be the wrong player to play in your system. Exactly. Uh, So here's my question, and I'm going to use another comparison. Coach Gandal with football said there's really two statistics that you want to look at, say, using defense, for example. Number one, scoring defense. How often are you allowing a team to score, whether it's a touchdown or a field goal? But second, red zone. Are you allowing them the opportunity to score inside the 20? Otherwise, teams could put up 1,000 yards and never get inside the 20. Let them feel good about themselves. Did we shut them out? Did we hold them to a limited number of scores? Great. We win the ball game. So – Here's a little volleyball 101. If somebody's going to look at a box score or go searching for some of those hidden stats that aren't up on the conference website, what should they be looking for to truly gauge if you're doing what you want to be doing? Here's a common mistake that happens with a lot of people. Digs per set. Did digs per set actually translate into points? No. All I'm doing is making sure that you don't hit the ball to the floor. I still got to dig, set, and then hit the ball to the floor in order to get a point. If I dig 22 balls a set and I can't convert any of them to kills, then it doesn't matter, right? So you'll see something like digs per set and a blocking number that may be off. So our block number is pretty good. Mm -hmm. We were second in the league in blocks. Yes. And then our digs per set was pretty mediocre. Well, if we're blocking more balls, every ball that we block is a point. Every ball that we dig is the potential for a point. So digging is a is kind of a misnomer in that sense. You need to dig more balls to get more opportunities to kill them. Obviously, you need to be good on defense. It needs to happen that way. Um, a, a, another one is the serving thing that we talked about. You have to have a certain number of errors in order to make those things happen. Um, the real stat is what's your dig percentage? Every time you dig a ball, how many times do you get a kill? And if you can get that at 25%, you've got to – you got a real good a real good thing. At points we were at thirty percent, and at points we were at like seven. So we got to get better in those in the in 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 that thing. You know, volleyball one on one again. Um, every time you go out and score points, you may say like, well, they're fourth or fifth in place in scoring points, right? Our hitting percentage may be one eighty nine, but we're only giving up one fifty in hitting percentage. So our block is forcing the other team to make more errors, which turns into points. Our block is getting more points f- for us, and our defense is digging just enough balls to give us enough opportunities to kill them back at you and force you into mistakes. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, when you look at our, our hitting percentage of 189, it's anemic. We need to be better. But we held opponents under that as well. So I think that there's a lot of, like we, we held BG who's normally hitting a, a, you know, at 270 or something like that to like a 189 hitting percentage. So it's, it's a give and take, obviously we need to be better on the score on the stats that we can score points on. And we need to be good in the areas that give us an opportunity to score points. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Now, if you want a visual of that flow chart, Coach will put it up on the volleyball website <laughs> by the end of the day. A uh, couple more here. I know we're working towards uh, almost 50 minutes here. Off-season, we touched on that a little bit earlier. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit shorter this year. Normally, you'd have some scatter, maybe play in the summer. Maybe some would be required to stay back and work with strength and conditioning. Coach Hannah, I mean, that's, that's where strength and conditioning coaches earn their paycheck is in the summer and the off-season. 
it's different. It's more compacted this year. Is there a set blueprint you're operating with, or do certain players maybe need to go out and get more reps while others maybe need to stay back? What's the baby bear's porridge here? Yeah, I think I think the hard part is we don't have the buildup that we normally do to an off season. Normally from January to May, we have this big ramp up of physicalness and weight room and conditioning and jump training and all this type of stuff to get them to the point where they feel probably the most physical and, and physically fit that they can ever be to then get them through the next three months. Well, we didn't have that. We had basically three, we had five months of beating them down, <laughs> you know, with play and competition and practices and mental and all that kind of stuff. So what we have to do is we give them a nice long break, give them a nice three, four week break. And then it's on them to know what their deficiencies are and go out and attack them. We're not allowed to address any of that stuff. Only Brandon is. Only Brandon is. And Brandon has to do that at the direction of those players. So what we did is in all our individual meetings, we talked to each one about what they need to work on, what the areas of conditioning they need to work on, the physicality of the game, where their jump touch is, and all those types of things, and said, if you want to play, you need to get these things better. And it's on them. So I think the thing that we're missing is just that big off-season ramp-up to be able to get it together. The nice part about next year is that in August, we start and we get almost about four, four extra days of preseason. So how hard do you want them going in the off season? I want them going as hard as they can. Okay, but you'd want them to make you want to make sure that they don't peak too soon come the fall semester, right? What's I don't how do you walk physically, that line? I don't think they physically can peak too soon. Okay. You know, I think I think again this goes back to the conditioning we're talking about. We're gonna get back into a normal week where we have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we play Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Well, that means we can actually lift on a Monday and a Wednesday and we can keep our physicality up. We can adjust our, our practice times and make sure that we're going a little less when we feel like they're not getting their legs right and a little more, whereas we couldn't do that this semester. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Is there a concern about making sure they're not worn out by the end of the season? No, I think they're all, you know, 18 to 22. Okay. They're they're going to be fine. You know, and I, and I think if anything, if we put it on them, they know their bodies better than anybody else. The fact that they need to ask to go do it is the biggest thing. Okay. You know, it's unlike men's and women's basketball or football, where they have summer access to their student athletes and they can put them through another, you know, two or three months of, of, you know, pointed conditioning or pointed training for those players. We don't have that access. We touched a little bit on the outgoing senior class. You do have an incoming freshman class. Fire away. What can people expect? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, very skilled class. Um, you know, I'm really excited about the, there's only three of them. And, you know, so that's a little different. Uh, I'm excited about the potential of the group. And I'm excited about the leadership of the group. You know, I think uh, we've got a, a middle coming in from Columbus Hilliard area named Ann Alford, and she's six foot four and jumps like a jackrabbit and is really quick laterally. But she's got a lot of growth to have happen. I think she's probably going to redshirt this year because of the depth that we have in the middle right now. Um, you know, we've got Elena Wagner, who's an outside hitter that fills a role for us, you know, um, and is going to emulate a lot of the outside hitters that we're going to see in our league when it comes to uh, her arm. She hits it hard. She's not afraid to take chances. She handles the ball well. She's going to work her tail off. And I think that's something that we see from a lot of different teams in the league. Um, her size is very comparable to the other outside hitters in our league. And then you got Elaine Redmond, who's going to be walking in as a freshman setter to three setters that have experience but I'm I'm fully expecting her to come out and really embrace this this uh, this challenge. She is another Ryan Jakeway type in the sense that she played for a mother who played volleyball and coached volleyball. Her dad is a basketball coach, and her whole family revolves around that. And then two just has this innate ability to decipher through the BS, get <laughs> to the point, heart of the matter, say what she needs to say and still be really competitive and get after it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how she develops with the identity of our team and how she develops physically in mid, mid, medium pass to good to bad pass. <laughs> what you want are good passes or great passes. It's not going to happen all the time, that, right? Brent. It's not going to happen all the time, Brent. <laughs> no, but the, si the situation, too, is this. You still have to play the ball, whether it's in system or out of system, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. How often were you in system? Any idea last year or this this year, I guess? I keep saying last year as if it was in the fall. It was just literally only a couple of weeks ago when you wrapped it up. Any idea how often you were in system? About 45 to 48%. Where would you like to be? You obviously want to be in the mid-50s. Okay. Yeah. I don't think – I think uh, 
I think when you're really bad, you know, you're getting pressured by a good serving team, you're in the 45s, you're probably happy with it. You know, it just depends on what team you're at. Uh, but I think with the serves that we were seeing, if they're making 91%, like you said, 98% or whatever it is, you probably want to be in the 55%, 60% good pass. And that's how we rank our passers. You know, I think Ryan Jakeway this year was, was close to 55, 56% good pass. Um, you know, we need more of those on the floor to be able to get to that 50, 55, 60% good pass. How often did we see, though, teams target Taylor all? All the time. I mean, she was pounded on. She was picked on, so to speak. And part of that, again, we, we want you out of system. So she's got to make the first touch. Okay, now somebody else has to beat us. Yeah. What's your counter as a coach in the, those types of situations? Well, she, she handled herself really, really well. I, I, think, I think if more people serve her as she gets stronger and more consistent, you know, they're going to be in trouble. You know, and also we're going to have more talent around her and around other people so that it'll take the weight off of her shoulder. So she did pass a bad ball. Our setter will get there and make a better play, and we'll actually set somebody else, not just setting her over and over and over. So, you know, I think that uh, of our passing core, you know, she was our second best passer on the year. So that's a pretty good deal for a freshman having to deal with a big load. What have we missed? Anything, anybody, any thank yous you want to send out? I mean, a lot of people made this possible. You tell your wonderful wife that this bread right here is unbelievable, and I really appreciate it. (laughs) He's buttering me up, folks. He butters me up every single time. She does the cooking, or in this case, the baking. All I do is deliver, free of charge, by the way. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate it. Uh, All right, so schedule. What do you anticipate for next fall? Do you anticipate, or is it still too early to tell? Are you hearing anything? Still too early. As far we're, as practice time, as far as being able to contact the athletes and get after it. I think we're. I think we're probably going to get a full season. Obviously, you know, it just depends on what goes on with the COVID protocols and how good the you know community is and where we're at with community spread. Um, you know, I know I got my vaccine mm-hmm. and, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, uh, we don't know what the schedule is going to be like based off of, you know, budgets and all that kind of stuff. So we're still working through that. Got a meeting tomorrow with the MAC conference, and we'll f- see where that goes. It's going to be more regional, maybe more bus rides than plane rides? Uh, yeah, it depends on each group's budget and where they want to go. But I think it's coming down to how many weeks do we have and how many conference matches we want to play. Like this year we played, you know, 22 – well, we hopefully played 22 conference matches in a 10-week period, which is a long time. Well, our normal season is only 14 weeks. So we need to, and we normally have a four-week non-conference play. So do we want to lose a weekend of four week of that four weekends non-conference? You know that type of stuff. So we we've got some issues that we want to work through. It's a little technical, and I don't want to bore anybody. But um, you know, I think uh, you'll. You, I know this. We're going to have a bunch of home matches. We'd love to see everybody out toward us. Hopefully, by watching online this year, maybe that uh, kind of primed the pump a little bit. I mean, there was atmosphere here with what less than a hundred people on most nights. Yeah. Could you imagine this place with ten times that? You even got a thousand people in here, a couple thousand. Man, the roof almost came off this place when you beat Ball State, the defending conference champions, in five sets. Come on out and see what maybe you didn't get to see this last year. The more the merrier, right? Yeah, absolutely. You should have heard the silence that we had when we beat BG at their place. It was perfect. <laughs> So just going to let you know that, yeah, the passion that we're exhibiting, the passion that we're exhibiting, the, the speed of play that we have is, is uh, um, pretty special. And I think you're going to see a lot of female student-athletes going out there and competing at a really high level that's physical, athletic, passion, um, and highly dramatic. There's a lot of drama in, in a volleyball match, and I really would – hopefully you guys would come out and really support us and, and, and see how good we can be. Trying to think off the top of my head. When's first practice? It'll be August 8th. So so here's one. Which was more satisfying? The energy in a five-set win at Savage Arena over Ball State or the silence down at the Stroh beating that team down south in five? Tough question. No easy answer. I'm going to say all of it. Of course. He's running for office, and he wants your vote, ladies and gentlemen. He'll shake your hand and kiss your baby. That was a very diplomatic answer. Absolutely. Anything that we've missed that no we sir, should be mentioning. No Thank you very All much. Right. Coach, appreciate it. Good luck to you, and we're looking forward to covering your pro. Hard to believe it's going to be a handful of months, and then we're right back here again and getting after it. There we go. That's going to do it for this edition of the Rocket Liftoff Podcast. Coach Oliver wants to see you. Think of that Uncle Sam poster where he's pointing to you. I want you at Savage Arena. Come this fall, cheer on the Rocket Volleyball team. Um, sky's the limit right now. That's right. A couple calls are out. 
as always, it's first come, first served. It's either going to be one or two people next week. It's either going to be uh, baseball coach Rob Reinstettle, his squad coming off three out of four on the road this weekend at Kent State. And Kent State have been playing some very good balls. Matter of fact, Chris Myers, the MAC player of the week this week. Uh, they are home this weekend against Akron. So uh, either going to be talking with him, doing a, a couple of weekend series reviews, or... I do have an email out to Commissioner Steinbrecher. Conference made a rule, or passed a rule, I should say, earlier this week, basically allowing interconference transfers, no more sitting out. Now, some are concerned about that. It's going to become the wild, wild west and a free-for-all. Others say the coaches will manage the situation responsibly, and that fear is needless. But still want to get his take on it, what led to it. Name, image, and likeness basically for all intents and purposes, has passed. If it hadn't been for COVID this year, I think it was January that that was supposed to be voted on. Everybody expected it to be passed by the NCAA. Want to get his take on it, as well as what to expect next fall. He's going to be a very integral part of the process and the decision-making. So that and a number of different things. So either one of those two gentlemen, as a matter of fact, it's most likely going to be one or the other, and then I'll just schedule the one the following week to wrap up this month. So if you enjoy what you've been hearing, ladies and gentlemen, please spread the word, share it. Coworkers, friends, family members, doesn't make any difference. A number of different social media platforms, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, we got them all up there. If you're like Coach, like me and you're a little old school and you actually have a desktop, then log on to the uh, university's athletic website. At the very end of that menu bar at the top, it says Watch Listen. Hover over it. The drop-down menu will give you the Rocket Liftoff podcast. Until next time, this is Brent Balbonat saying thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you on another Rocket Liftoff podcast. This has been the Rocket Liftoff podcast. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the University of Toledo Medical Center Sports Network.